Just for that ministry in music. We are in a passage this morning that speaks of the faith of the apostles, and in particular, their need to grow in their faith. Now, the apostles had a very real, true, certain faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it needed to grow, it needed to increase. They'd been with him for three years. They had witnessed many miracles, heard him taught on numerous occasions, and had been instruments of God's grace in the lives of others, in performing miracles, and in teaching, and sharing the good news of the Messiah having come. And yet, they still had a long way to go in their relationship with God. This morning I want to emphasize that we have a long way to go in our relationship with the Lord and certain principles that we can learn from this passage. In John chapter 16, verse 12, which provides a transition in this teaching of Jesus, says this, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He said, I have many more things, not just a few things. Not just some incidentals. But Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you. But you're just not not ready. I can't tell you yet. They're not going to be helpful. They're not going to be productive. You're not going to get it. You're not going to understand. And you would choke on them if I told you. You need to grow. You need to grow. In order for faith to grow, it takes time, experience, and understanding. So we want to look at lessons about the growing faith of the apostles to help us as we seek to grow in our faith in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you some background, some verses that lead up to our exact text this morning. As I said in verse 12 of chapter 16, it says, I have many more things to say to you. But you cannot bear them now. The Holy Spirit will enable the disciples to understand these things when the time comes. Verses 13 through 15. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Jesus then speaks of his death and resurrection. Verse 16. A little while, and you will no longer behold me. Again, a little while, and you will see me. Once again, the disciples are in the dark. The disciples are still perplexed concerning Jesus' death and resurrection. Verse 17. Some of the disciples therefore said to one another, What is this thing he is telling us? A little while and you will not behold me. Again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. And so they were saying, What is this that he says, a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus realizes that the disciples still do not grasp what is about to take place. Verse 19. (coughs) Jesus knew that they wished to question him. And he said to them, (coughs) Are you deliberating together about this? That I said, a little while and you will not behold me. Again, in a little while you shall see me. 
Jesus now speaks of the negative effect that Jesus' death will have on them. Verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. However, their sadness will become rejoicing when Jesus rises from the dead. Verse 20. But your sorrow will be turned to joy. Jesus then illustrates how that which once was sorrowful brings joy in the woman as she delivers in childbirth. Verse 21. Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more for joy that a child has been born in the world. Jesus will appear to the disciples when he rises from the dead, which will bring them great joy. Verse 22. Therefore, you too now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one takes your joy away from you. Then the disciples will fully understand what he has been saying. Verse 23. And in that day, you will ask me no question. Then the disciples will be granted the privilege of understanding even more. Verse 24. Until now you've asked nothing in my name, and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Jesus will no longer speak in obscure ways, but the truth will be made clear to them. Verse 25. These things have I spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will speak no more to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you love me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. So we want to look at lessons concerning the growing faith of the apostles. And what I'm highlighting this morning is verse 27. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. So, lessons about the disciples' faith. First, although the disciples' faith needed to grow, nevertheless, Jesus affirms the apostles' faith in him. Jesus asserts that the disciples believed that Jesus came forth from the Father. Verse 27. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. Jesus clearly puts their faith in a past perfect tense, which means that at some point in the past, they had believed that Jesus came forth from the Father, and that faith continues right to the present. So, at some point in the past, they put their faith in trust in Jesus as having come forth from the Father. The disciples are repeatedly said to have believed throughout the Gospel accounts. At the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, three years earlier, at the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed, that of turning the water into wine at Cana of Galilee, the Scripture says, as a result, this beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. His disciples believed in him. Three years ago, 
right from the get-go. The disciples believe in Jesus. In the middle of his public ministry, Jesus is encountering some opposition. Jesus' teaching is being rejected. And as a result, many of the crowds walk away from Jesus. So Jesus said to his disciples, John 6, 67, Jesus therefore said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We have believed and come to know, come to understand, come to realize that you are the Holy One from God. Where are we going to go? Why would we abandon you? Why would we leave? Up until the crucifixion itself, Jesus purposefully was ambiguous in telling the disciples about many of the facts that are associated with the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now, he spoke about it, but most often when he spoke, he was pretty obscure. Notice verse 25. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will speak no more to you in figurative language, but we will tell you plainly of the Father. Right up until this time, just hours before his death, Jesus is still using pictures. Rather than clearly speaking about his death. Even in this passage, he talks about going away. He doesn't say, I'm going to die. He says, I'm going away. I can be anything. You know, it's easy for us in hindsight. They always say, hindsight is 2020. When we read this passage, we know what it's saying. We know what it means. Try to put yourself into a context before the crucifixion. And Jesus is saying to you, I'm going away. Would you immediately jump to the conclusion he's going to die on the cross? If he said to you, I'm going away? And I'm going to come to you again? Does that immediately speak to you of the resurrection? They say, what's he talking about? What's he saying? I'm going away, I'm coming again? When's this going to happen? What's going on here? But there's a future time in which Jesus will explain the fathers to the disciples more clearly, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, and hour is coming, but I will speak no more to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. That time is strictly future. Jesus does not use the customary formula, the hour is coming and now is. For example, John 4, 23, an hour is coming and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. John 5, 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. Or even in our own text, verse, 22, verse 32, Behold, an hour is coming and has already come. But Jesus does not use that formula in verse 25. An hour is coming. He doesn't say an hour is coming and is now here. The hour is strictly future. In a future time... I'm going to tell you these things plainly. 
But not yet. Because you're not ready. I have many things to tell you. But you can't bear them now. But there's a future time coming. And I'm going to make this stuff abundantly clear to you. Jesus reassures the disciples that having placed their faith in Jesus, the Father loves them. Verse 27. For the Father himself loves you. That will love you. Present tense loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the, the Father. He says, you have a relationship with God the Father. Because you believed in me. And the Father loves you. This is to remove any present or future doubt that might exist in the apostles' minds. The whole intent of this passage is found in verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. That's what they need to understand. That's the peace that they need to experience. It's good to know that God loves us and accepts us. It is good to know that weak faith Uninformed faith is still faith. But now, notice with me, the disciples profess a deeper belief in Jesus. They profess that Jesus is equal with God. Look at verse 29. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Verse 30. Now... We know that you know all things, have need of no need for anyone to question you. By this, we believe you came from God. The disciples profess to believe what they did not fully understand previously. In other words, this is not new in kind. It isn't that now they believe that Jesus came forth from God and he didn't, they didn't believe it before. Before they had believed that Jesus came from God. But they're saying, but now we really believe. Now we get it. Now we understand. The light's gone on. Okay. Got it, Jesus. We're on the same page. We're with you. We get it. Now we believe that you are the Son of God. Now we get it. The Jewish people had a strong confidence in learning as a result of question and answer. It was believed that both the questioner and the answerer would grow in knowledge as a result of the give and take. God and God alone did not need to be questioned. He did not need to grow in understanding. That's why it says in verse 30, Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. That's strange in our culture. That's a, that's a, that's a weird word. But what they're saying is, nobody needs to teach you. You don't need to grow in your understanding. We know that you fully understand these things. We know that what you teach is full and accurate 
incomplete. It's in that sense that the Scripture says of God the Father, Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. One of the differences that exists in the way in which we pray as believers and the pagan world prays is that we don't inform God. We don't teach God. We don't let God in on the daily news. Oh, by the way, God, I'm sick today. Could you help me? We don't instruct God. Oh, by the way, God, I'm sick. So if you would just do A, B, and C. God doesn't need our help. God doesn't need our instruction. God doesn't need our input. God knows all things. So, it says, we pray differently. He knows what we have need of before we ask. That is a unique attribute of God. He knows before we ask what we need. That is solely in the providence of God. It is in that sense that the disciples say, no one needs to ask you anything. You know all things. You know the answers. Now we really get it. But they didn't really get it. And two things are helpful for us to keep in mind. First, they disregarded Jesus' teaching that in the future he would make these things plain to them. He said, the hour is coming when I will speak plainly about these things. They said, now you're speaking plainly. Now we get it. No. He said, the hour is coming. The time is coming. Not now. In the future, I'm going to tell you these things. Right now, I have so many things to tell you, but you aren't ready yet. And the very fact that they think that they understand demonstrates that they're not ready yet. They're not teachable. They're not humble. They're overconfident in their relationship with God. They overstate the case. They disregarded what Jesus said about his teaching in the future. And they disregarded what Jesus said in verses 12 and 13. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. They didn't see the need for the Holy Spirit. They didn't see the need of seeing these things more clearly. They said, Jesus, we get it. We get it. It's easy to have an overestimation, a higher opinion of ourselves than we ought to have. Peter, Peter repeatedly has confidence that he should not have. Even in John 13, 36, just prior to this message, Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me, but you shall follow me later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you right now? I'm willing to lay down my life for you. 
Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a cock shall not crow until you deny me three times. Peter says, I'm willing to die for you. Jesus said, are you willing to die for me? You're going to deny me three times. He had an overestimation of his commitment. He wasn't humble. He said, I get it. We, if we're going to grow in our relationship with God, have to admit two things. First of all, our need of growth. We haven't arrived. And if we think we have arrived, it really shows us we haven't arrived. We've got a long way to go. Humility. To be willing to be taught. Have a teachable spirit. A dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Which brings us then to the realization that we need to grow in our relationship to God. That we need to be careful that we don't overestimate our committedness to the Lord, our understanding of the Scriptures, or our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all too easy to think that we've arrived when we haven't. So we ask some simple questions. Do we pray that we grow in each of these areas? Do you pray that you would grow in your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you pray that you would grow in your understanding of the Scriptures? Do you pray that you would grow in your love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe we wouldn't say it. But deep down inside, do we think, we're there. We're where we need to be. I'm just fine, thank you. Do we consciously depend upon the Holy Spirit to teach us? When you read your Bible... Before you read, do you pray and ask God to open your eyes, give you wisdom, insight, that you can understand this book that is pretty mysterious to us, hard to comprehend? Lord, give me the ability to, to rightly apply it. Help me to see it. Do you seek God's help? That's why this is this interjection here about prayer. Why up until now you haven't asked me anything, Jesus says. Not in an absolute sense, in a relative sense. He's saying... You're deliberating among yourselves. What does this mean? You didn't ask me what this means. Do we ask? Do we heed scriptural warnings? Are we teachable? Are we humble? Thirdly, Jesus reveals that the disciples still need to grow in their faith. John 16, 31. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Do you now believe? And the emphasis is on the word now. Do you now believe? He already said they believed. But they needed to increase. They said, now we get it. He's saying, do you really get it now? Do you really get it now? This question achieves three purposes. First, the question serves as a bit of irony. The disciples said, verse 30, Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. Now we know you understand. You don't need anybody to question you. The irony is Jesus turns right around and questions them because they need it. (laughs) 
Do you now believe? Think about what you're saying. Think about what you're professing. It's a wake-up call. It's to lead them to further understanding. You don't get it still. They don't know all things. They don't even know their own hearts. Peter repeatedly had overstated the disciples' belief. In John 6, 69, Peter says, And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? There, Peter says, We've all believed. And he puts Judas in that boat. Jesus says, Now wait a minute. One of you is a devil. One of you hasn't believed at all. Peter didn't know that. But Jesus knew that. Peter had overstated his own commitment. In this very night in which Jesus is giving this discourse, Jesus said to Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter says, I'm not going to deny you. I'm going to die for you. He won't accept what Jesus teaches him. Secondly, the question serves to lead them to greater faith by showing that Jesus knows the future. Verse 32. Behold, an hour is coming and already has come for you to be scattered each to his own home and to leave me alone. In John 13, 19, Jesus said, From now on I'm telling you before it comes to pass so that when it does occur, you may believe that I'm he. Jesus says, Now I'm going to tell you some things in a prophetic way. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the future so you know when it comes to pass, I told you so. And so now, Jesus reveals, so that they will know in the future, that he told them so, that they're going to be scattered, they're going to go to their own homes, and they're going to leave them alone. So those three things. First, they're going to be scattered. They're going to abandon Jesus. Notice it says in verse 32, they're going to leave him alone. When the crucifixion occurs, they're going to be gone. Secondly, they will each go to their own home, it says. Verse 32. Not only are they going to abandon Jesus, they're going to abandon each other. They're going to go their separate ways. He's just had a lengthy discourse on the need to love each other, help each other, protect each other. And when Jesus dies, they're all going their own way. Thirdly, the question serves to demonstrate that not only does Jesus know the future, he knows the hearts of the disciples and the degree of their faith. The disciples' lack of understanding and paltry faith will be evidenced when they fail to stand by Jesus in his arrest and death. He says, do you now believe? We'll see what happens. Are you now fully committed to me? Just watch what takes place. You're going to be scattered. You're each going to go to your own home. You're going to abandon me. Not only do they not stand by Jesus, they don't stand by each other. But there's more to it than that. For notice what it says in verse 32. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered. Each to his own home. When Jesus dies, it's the end 
of discipleship. They're to be followers of Jesus. They've been earthly followers. They're not ready for him to be ascended. They're not ready to be a follower of one that's off the scene. And when Jesus dies, discipleship ends. And they each go their own way. Now we're going to see in the resurrection accounts that Jesus has got to gather them together and tells them to go get so-and-so and tell them what he said. He's got to regather them, but they're scattered. And they go home. Not only is discipleship ended, ministry ceases. They're not teaching. They're not healing. They're back to life as usual. Remember the resurrection appearances? What's Peter doing when Jesus appears to Peter? He's fishing. He's fishing. He's back to his former life. He's back to what he knew. He's back to his old business. He'd gone home. He was not ready. Look at verses 32 and 33. Behold, an hour is coming. It has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, to leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things... I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. The in him harkens back to the vine analogy of John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And the tribulation that they will experience harkens back to the persecution and hatred they will face in being identified with Jesus Christ. But, Jesus says, I will triumph over the world. I will be victorious. Your joy is going to become sadness when I die. But that sadness is going to turn to joy. Because I'm going to triumph. I'm going to be in a grave. I'm going to come out of the grave. I'm going to rise again. You don't see me now, but in just a little while, you're going to see me again. All of that will become clear. All of that will become plain. All of that they're going to understand. In a way that they just couldn't comprehend it now. Jesus said... I can't even explain it to you. But in just a little while, it's all going to become so clear. You're going to get it. Well, again, it's hard for us to put ourselves in that situation because we know how the story ends. We know about the empty tomb. We know about the stone being rolled away. We know about the resurrection appearances. We know about the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. But just for a moment, try to put yourself in the shoes of the apostles. And I would submit to you that the best analogy for us is that in John 14, Jesus says, You believe in God, believe also in me. Well, we believe. We believe in God, we believe in Jesus. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that there 
where I am, there you may be also. Oh, we believe that. Do you believe in life after death? Do you believe that God has prepared a way for you? Do you believe that in the future you're going to be in the presence of God and with your loved ones? Do you believe in the reality of the resurrection? It's easy to say, now we believe. But there is so much more to that. There is so much more to comprehend that it would really transform our life existence so that we become a different people. A transformed people. We need to be praying that God would give us the ability to really comprehend and to fully believe these things that we, yes, do believe at a certain degree. So let me make some observations about faith. Saving faith. Genuine saving faith can be pretty weak, pretty immature, and pretty much in the dark. This passage begins by saying to the disciples, In verse 25, verse 27, For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. The Father loves you. You're saved. You have a relationship with God. You believe. But there's a world of difference between saving faith and a faith that continues to grow to really understand, comprehend and be transformed by the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what genuine faith can do. Genuine faith can abandon the Lord Jesus Christ for a period of time. You're going to leave me alone. Genuine faith can abandon fellowship with fellow believers. They each go to their own house. Genuine faith can get to the place where it doesn't serve, doesn't minister, doesn't actively do anything for the kingdom's sake. That's scary. That's scary. That it's possible Because of trials, difficulties, hardships, and persecution. That we could turn our backs on virtually all that we know and profess. Do you understand that? The scripture says that we need to be on guard because we have an adversary that's like a roaring lion seeking to be made devour. Do you understand how frail we are? Can you relate to the hymn, Prone to Wander, Lord, I Feel It? Do you know that deep down inside, 
that if somebody says to us, you have cancer, they could raise doubts in our minds. When we're incredibly disappointed, we might struggle in our own commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. We might go to our own home and not fellowship. Jesus said, I'm telling you these things so you're going to have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. But in me, you're going to triumph. Our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is in the God who loved us and gave himself for us. Our faith is that he was begun a good work and he will perform today of Christ. Our faith is, by the grace and love and mercy of God, he's not going to let hold of us. He's going to triumph. He's going to triumph not only in his death, he's going to triumph in the fact that he, he died to save a people, and he's going to save them. He died to bring a people to God, and he's going to bring them to God. And he will bring us to God. We can have absolute, 100% confidence in that. Not ourselves, not our faith, not our strength. But in a sovereign, holy God who sent his son to save us. He's going to triumph. He's going to triumph. What's the lesson? Humility. We too have a tendency to overestimate our commitments to the Lord, our faith in him, our love for him. We should be receptive of the warnings of Scripture. When Jesus said to Peter, tonight you're going to deny me three times, he said, no, I won't. No, I won't. The Scripture says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Then we might provoke one another unto love and good works. I can miss church, it's not going to have any effect on me. I don't need to go to church regularly. I don't need to read the scriptures. I believe. I'm convinced. I know. It's so easy to think we're farther down the road than what we are. We need to be humble. Teachable. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part. But then I shall know fully, just as also I am fully known. He's talking about a time when we're in the presence of God. He's talking about a time when we're, we're dead and with Christ. He says that we're going to fully know. But Paul says, the Apostle Paul, the great prophet, the great preacher, the great teacher of the Word of God says, But now I know in part. It's like looking in a steam-filled mirror. Go in your bathroom. Turn on the hot water. And watch the steam come over that mirror. And then look into it and see how clearly you see your face. And Paul says, that's about our understanding of the Scripture. That's about how clearly we see it. That's about how, how well we know it. We may pride ourselves in our 
knowledge of the Word of God. But in reality, in reality, these things are above us. It's so easy to talk about experiences that aren't ours. Faith, deep down inside, we know we struggle, we have doubts, we have questions. We know that we should be speaking more for Christ. We're reticent, we're afraid, we're intimidated. If we're honest with ourselves, we have so much more progress to make. Jesus says this is an encouragement. Jesus says this to say, ask. Ask. Until now, you haven't asked anything. Have we pleaded with God for more faith? Have we asked him to take away the indifference? Have we acknowledged that there's so much in this book we don't get? And the reality is that my life is inconsistent. I know what I should do. But I have such a hard time doing it. Jesus said, I've spoken these words that you might have peace and that your joy may be full. May you go away in peace this morning. May your joy be full in knowing three things. One, if you put simple, childlike faith and trust in Jesus who died to take away your sins and rose again that you can have life and have it more abundantly. You're saved. God loves you. And you have an incredible relationship with God. But there's still a whole lot more. A whole lot more for us to know, to do, to believe, and to rejoice in. And so he says, I will send you the Holy Spirit. Well, we live in that wonderful day and age in which the Holy Spirit is here, has come. Do I consciously depend upon the Holy Spirit in my life? Am I asking the Holy Spirit to teach me? Am I asking the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in me? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control. Am I actively depending upon the Holy Spirit? For my growth, my edification. Repeatedly, we read the words in the scriptures. Grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I growing? Second lesson. Do I see the need to grow? That. That is marvelous progress in and of itself. To simply to see the need and not be comfortable. Not say, now I believe. Now I get it. Now there's nothing more for me. I don't need church. I don't need to read. I don't need to pray. I don't need anybody to teach me. I don't have to go through any kind of 
change in my life. I know. I understand. I believe. And the third measure of peace is the triumph. The triumph. It's marvelous. These men who scatter before the cross, after the cross, are willing to die for their faith. In fact, they all do, except for the Apostle John, who dies on the Isle of Patmos. The transformation in these men is unbelievable. And it's one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection. For what can explain why people before the cross are going to abandon, and then after the cross are willing to die? Because they know what they believe is true. They really know it's true. They really believe it's true. Now they got it. Jesus Christ has come forth from the dead. Whom shall we fear? My life is caught up with Him. And I'm going to be in His presence. Now they knew. Now they believed. Now they acted. An incredible potential. I say to you, there's an incredible potential for us. An incredible potential for us in three ways. Number one, maybe you have a loved one that made a profession of faith. And they seem to have kind of walked away from everything. That doesn't necessarily mean they're lost. God can get a hold of them. God can change them. God can bring them back to Himself. Pray for them. Intercede for them. Don't give up on them. If it can happen to the apostles, it can happen to anyone. Secondly, be careful in your own hearts. Guard your own mind. Say, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Ask for God to sustain you. Help you. Increase your faith, commitment, love to Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, think about the potential of what we could be as individuals and as a church. How we could reach our community in ways we've never reached it before. If only I really believed more. Think about that. If I really, truly, wholeheartedly believed what I profess to believe, how would I look different? And I submit to you that each one of us, each one of us, could grow. In a powerful way. That we could be more consistent, more dynamic, more active, if we really believe more. Will you plead? Will you ask? In faith believing. 
that God would increase your faith in all that we now profess. Not that the profession is ingenuine. It's just that it needs to go so much deeper. Many, many more things to understand, to believe, to appropriate. Let's pray. Our Father, help us, O God. We believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to be more consistent, more dynamic in our faith. Lord, open our hearts and minds to see what we are blind to now. We invite the Holy Spirit to search us, equip us, enable us, empower us, transform us. Oh God, we want to believe more. More fully. More deeply. Remove doubts, anxieties, concerns. May we be yours. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.